Welcome to a very special episode of the Las Vegas Suns Sun on the Strip Entertainment Podcast. Thank you for joining me this week and every other week if you've been listening. My name is Brock Radke. I write about entertainment, nightlife, and dining and more for the Las Vegas Sun. And I've been producing this podcast every week for three years now. This episode is being published on Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. And I have a rare interview with the one and only David Copperfield to share this week. But before we get to that conversation, let me give you a little update on what's happening this week on the world-famous Las Vegas Strip. The Las Vegas Festival Grounds on the north end of the Strip is set to host the second edition of the Day in Vegas Hip Hop Music Festival, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And it was just announced that Post Malone will replace Travis Scott as Saturday night's festival headliner. Travis Scott, of course, hosted his own Astro World Festival in Houston last weekend where a tragic stage rush occurred and eight people lost their lives and many more were injured. The rapper has pulled out of the Las Vegas Festival in the aftermath of this tragedy, but things will move on here on the Strip. For more information on the festival, visit dayandvegas2021.com. The MSG Sphere, expected to open behind the Venetian on the Strip in 2023, has moved into a new stage of construction. Crews have started to build the 730-ton steel framework that will support the -the state-of-the-art theater's interior LED display and audio system. Once complete, it will be a 160,000-square-foot curved LED screen larger than three football fields and wrapping up over and around the audience. This framework construction will continue into next year. Earth, Wind, and Fire at Venetian and Brian Adams at Wynn are among the limited engagements opening this week on the Strip. Both of those shows arrive for a series of concerts starting Wednesday the 10th, and the weekend brings Sammy Hagar's third set of residency concerts at the Strat, as well as Brett Eldridge doing a holiday tour stop at Virgin, and Barry Manilow continuing his residency at Westgate. For a very well-rounded look at weekend entertainment options, check out Best Bets, published online every Friday morning at LasVegasSun.com. David Copperfield has continued to perform one of the Strip's most amazing shows at MGM Grand every night, but you might also have seen a bit more from the world-famous illusionist recently because just last month, he released an epic book, David Copperfield's History of Magic. It tells a story of dozens of the most influential artists and performers in the history of this unique form of entertainment and features tons of never-before-seen images of memorabilia and artifacts Copperfield has collected over the years, which are all being stored at his private museum here in Las Vegas. He's got a lot to talk about, and it's really cool to get some time to chat with one of the Strip's all-time biggest entertainers, truly an icon beyond Las Vegas. Here's my conversation with David Copperfield. First of all, congratulations on the book. Uh, I think it's already being talked about as one of the most important books on magic. And uh, obviously, you're very passionate about the subject and, and giving it all the respect it deserves as an art form. Uh, was this project something that you've been developing and working on for a, a number of years? In a way, you know, this museum is uh, almost 30 years of, of, of my life. Uh, the museum is a secret museum because of all the secrets involved. So people get to tour it 
um, by invitation only. Uh, so the book actually is a way of allowing other people to see this amazing place. It gives a kind of a tour of the entire place uh, and some of the highlights uh, with beautiful pictures by Homer Lee Wag, and it's a great coffee table book. But the book itself is only three years in the making, two or three years in the making, um, because I was searching for a way to share this place in another way. We, we, we've done many exhibitions outside of the museum. We've taken... Uh, exhibitions from the museum and put them in New York and LA, all that kind of things. But to actually have people be able to look at pictures and hear the stories, it's very, a very rich history. And I'm really proud of, of the book. What kind of inspired the idea for the book, other than, like you said, providing this glimpse into this special place? Well, a few friends of mine took a tour of this place with some other educators and scholars and they said, you know something, you should, you should share this in a more broad way, you know, to make it a, a, something that is accessible to the wide general public and tell these stories. The stories are amazing. They're stories that are not just about magicians themselves, but what the, how they impacted society. You know, the movies, cinema wouldn't exist if it wasn't for a magician creating stories with, with the cinema, uh, a lot of technology, lots of technology, the smart homes existed as magic effects back in the 1840s. Um, magic impacted so many different things and inspired so many different levels of, of, of creative people that, um, it, it makes for incredible stories, some infamous stories too, people that have done some really, you know, some not so nice things too. So it's, it's a, it's a very, wide range of, of personalities and stories that make for really good literature, I think. You are a historian uh, in some ways, uh, one of the most knowledgeable people about magic in the world. Was there anything for the book, as you went through the book and, and finalized what was going in, what stories you wanted to tell, was there anything that you kind of relearned and that really resonated with you uh, going through that process? It's a fantastic question. You know, I really was more of a creator than a historian for decades. I was inventing new magic, you know, giant objects would disappear and we'd walk through walls and, you know, travel people around the world, really trying to break the mold of what magic was, um, trying to really find a new language for magic. My current show the MGM is uh, about dinosaurs and spaceships and aliens and time travel, things that don't exist in any of these volumes, amazing volumes in the library here. So my real effort in my life was to move magic forward. I never looked back. And then 20 years ago, I acquired a collection of, of, of things to kind of rescue it and keep it together. Uh, and I started learning about the stories of these, these ladies and gentlemen, women magicians and men magicians who had amazing stories. And then suddenly it was vibrant because stories Stories are very important to me. We learn from stories. We learn from our past. And I never look back. So in the past 20 years, I've been looking back as well as looking forward. And uh, it was very, very enjoyable for me to relearn all this stuff. And, and uh, the book itself, I found out some incredible things during the last two years that I didn't know. Uh, and um, it's it's a great feeling to, 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 to find things that uh, uh, match what we learn in our life today as humanity, we learn a little bit all the time. We keep, keep making the same mistakes in, in the world, not just magicians. Just everybody keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. We learn, we progress a little bit here and there, but we keep making the same mistakes. And that's true of magic. Houdini, you know, uh, when he escaped from things, I've got these amazing posters of him escaping from milk cans and water torture cells. 
And then I got posters next to it in the museum of people that totally stole from him, did the exact same thing. Amazing theft. And that exists in my life. Certainly people are a guy in Spain doing my show. Basically. Um, I don't have the time to, to stop him. You know, um, it's, you know, it comes to my show and copies all this stuff. It's good to know it existed before me, you know, it existed a hundred years ago. So humanity keeps doing the same thing. And luckily I'm able to move forward and kind of find new ways of, of doing things and explore new territory, which will eventually get stolen. But um, it's good to know that uh, I come from a long line of people being replicated. Right now feels like maybe an ideal time for this book to come out, considering that you, know, you were off stage, not performing in Las Vegas for such a long period of time, along with every other entertainer and show in town and uh audiences had to go a long time without being able to experience magic in a in a tactile way has the response in your shows changed from how it was prior to the pandemic i'm sure you know i during the pandemic i kept my crew uh employed and uh it was fantastic because they got to build another quarter of this museum i got made them uh we were able to do things that weren't, we didn't have time to do. I had three giant libraries that had to be put together. And so we collated all the things and found that we had 7,000 duplicate books, 7,000 duplicate books. And we built this beautiful library, which you can see in the book, actually pictures of the library, all beautifully lit um, and uh, really well archived and had the whole team, you know, working 24 seven creating this library and this research center something I wanted to do, had the material, but we never had the chance to do it. So COVID really created a quarter of this museum for better or for worse. You know, uh, we all learned so much during COVID, you know, that what we're doing right now, this whole zoom zoom thing is a whole culture that uh, uh, allows me to, you know, to look at you and talk to you, even though we're in, in the same city, but, but uh, we're able to do this, which is, it's, that's one of the good parts of it. And, you know, humanity does kind of rise above all the challenges we have. And that part of magical thinking is that, you know, we are challenged that we can't do this. Or we can't do that. You can't, uh, we're, this is impossible. And magicians have to think in a magical way to work around uh, lots of issues to, to overcome those things, to make impossible look possible. And in many cases, make them possible. You know, so much of what I do is inventing new technology and uh, using technology that nobody knows about, but also in the process, inventing new technology. And uh, that's something that uh, people who don't do magic will be able to use someday when I'm finished enjoying amazing people with it. I grew up watching your TV specials, just like everybody else. So when I see the show uh, MGM Grand now, it's, it's very much a nostalgic experience for me. But since I've been writing about Vegas entertainment, I've been probably most impressed by how many performances you're doing every week, uh, the consistency of the show and the fact that it's such a big show, even though, you know, 750 seat theater, not one of the biggest venues in Las Vegas. Uh, what is the secret behind that incredible consistency? We were very kind. Write that in your review, please. <laughs> um, no, I do 15 shows a week. I take no days off during the weeks that I work. And then I take 10 weeks off, separate weeks off during the year. And it's a great balance for me. I get to kind of re-energize during those little week breaks throughout the year. But while I'm here, I like to work. So I do three shows on Saturday and two shows every other day besides that. And, uh, you know, the audiences are really amazingly diverse. 
we have families, we have people from China, people from South America. Uh, we have people, EDM crowds, you know, we've got, the, uh, you know, families during spring break and the summertime. And I keep testing new things out. And the audience knows that they're going to see something a little bit different. It's like a Broadway show. They know they're going to get the, the show itself, but I keep testing little things and making it interesting for me. But the audience is the reason, you know, uh, that I'm there. I, I, I enjoy them. I enjoy the experience. Yeah. If I wasn't having a good time, I wouldn't do it. You know, I, I do something else, but, um, it's, uh, it's very rewarding. I've been doing meet and greets, um, in a different way now, you know, everyone is doing meet and greets. You take pictures of people, but then I do a little command performance backstage and I kind of look forward to the, you know, a lot of performers go, Oh, the meet and greets. Oh my God, I got to do this. And they have a contract to do it. Um, but I look forward to it because at the end of doing the standard, you know, uh, handshakes or elbow bumps, I guess today. Um, and, uh, are you vaccinated? Okay. Take your mask off. After that, takes place i get to do a piece of new material to test for that group backstage you know and it's really fun and they really are happy about it and so it's uh it's good i also wanted to ask you about uh your work a few years ago lobbying congress to pass the resolution that would recognize magic as a, a rare and valuable art form uh is that an ongoing effort and could you explain why that's important to you and what that could lead to Sure. I mean, uh, in Congress, I'm very fortunate. Uh, Congress, uh, the Library of Congress gave me a Living Legend Award with, uh, you know, Colin Powell and Steven Spielberg and, you know, uh, all these things. And that was a very, you know, I have a very kind of nice relationship with our, uh, with our, our congressional friends um, from both sides of the aisle. But the, uh, uh, the nice thing was that Congress gives certain acknowledgement for art forms. Ballet is a, designated art form jazz recently designated art form magic needs to have that uh, because a lot of grants are given uh, to young magicians uh, female magicians male magicians and sometimes you look towards kind of the, the legality of it and if if the government uh, has acknowledged that magic is an actual art form uh, those young people starting magic maybe get a grant to study to learn to help them propel their art of magic forward that was my main reason for for doing it um uh, i think that um uh, it will eventually happen. You know, right now we're focusing on lots of stuff. <laughs> There's a few other things going on right now. Good things going on. And I, so I kind of stopped, you know, pushing. I let my friends uh, there, you know, focus on things that have to be dealt with. Um, and uh, eventually we'll, we'll come back to it. But the, but the real reason was, uh, as far as the progress of the art form, if the government designated it as an art form, like it has for jazz, ballet, all those things, that could help young people getting the help they need. You know, that museum, I've driven by it often. Uh, <laughs> it's very cool. I look forward. Maybe one day I'll be able to get in there and get a tour and see all that stuff close. Guaranteed for you. Thank you. That's going to do it for the sun on the strip. Thanks for listening, and special thanks to David Copperfield and his entire team. Go see the show at MGM Grand. And if you've been listening to this podcast regularly or at all, I really appreciate your time and participation. I've recorded some great conversations with Vegas people over these years, and you can go back and listen to them anytime you want at lasvegassun.com slash podcast. This is the end of The Sun on the Strip, for now at least, but please follow along with my Vegas coverage 
at The Sun, Las Vegas Weekly Magazine, and Las Vegas Magazine. Thanks. Take care.